0: John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere. On the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now. Sean Clayton.
1: Well, we made it to Friday, and we're still trying to get the air quality better. I just checked the AQI, and it's now about uh, 126. It was uh, about uh, 115, so it's still it's still good enough that you can play football. Uh still want to limit what you want to do outside, but, uh, you know, of course, it's a rare situation here in Seattle where we're rooting for rain. It was supposed to start raining a couple hours ago, but it did, it did not, but uh, trying to get through it. But again, everybody's trying to get through. Again, can, can things be any Crazier. I mean, we're going through a pandemic. We have all protests going on. We got the fires and all this stuff. It's just amazing. But let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one,
0: Russ and I talk all the time um, and Pete and I talk all the time. And so there was definitely something uh, that we discussed throughout the off season about, hey, look, you know, this guy's a great player. If the if the opponent fits what we're trying to do, he's going to take care of the football. He's going to get us positive plays. Um, I think what's really cool is Russ and I have the type of relationship now where he can come to me and really say whatever he wants to me in terms of, hey, I think that was a call or, hey, I think that was a great call hey, I want to do more of this. And I don't feel like he's being pushy. He's just giving me his thoughts and ideas. And sometimes I push back and I'm like, I don't see it that way. And he's like, okay uh, I respect that. But again, we realize he's a tremendous player and we've got great players around them. We want to give them those opportunities, but it's going to be game-planned each and every week.
1: And that's Brian Schottenheimer talking about the continued improved relationship he has with Russell Wilson, and I still go back to the first game that uh, Brian Schottenheimer called plays, and uh, it was against Denver on the road, and they call he called more pass plays than running plays, and kind of got out, and of course he did that because he had such great respect for the talent of Russell Wilson, uh, you know, arguably the best quarterback he's ever been with, and now you can see the relationship's grown to a point where you know they are going to let him cook a little bit more, maybe not like they did last week but still cooked to a point where they can get a, a right type of menu because last week they were able to go against a falcon team that uh, supposedly was not going to be good rushing the passer that also uh, had problems that with young cornerbacks out there and took advantage of that and he went 31 for 35 for 322 yards and four touchdowns now coming up he takes on bill belichick who is right now one of the best coaches as far as finding the matchups with man-to-man cornerbacks on receivers and see what they can take away and that's why I would imagine that you're going to probably see more two receiver, two tight end sets. Nevertheless, uh, you know, I, and it's funny because I know on the text the, uh, we were being texted a bunch uh, the last couple of times I've been on the air uh, saying, okay, you know, they're not going to let them cook as much and all, you're getting outraged fans that want them to cook, 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 cook but you have to run the ball more. So the Patriots allowed only 182 yards passing last week against Miami but it was Miami. They had 30 attempts and so now if you give Russell Wilson 30 attempts, you know can he get over 250 yards? I think that uh, could be a possibility but again, you don't want him to cook too much because you could be cooked if that's going to happen. So we'll see how it goes with Brian Schottenheimer and Russell Wilson coming up Sunday against the Patriots. Number two.
2: swinging this is driven out towards the gap in right center field. We'll roll for a while and do some pretty serious damage. It's a base hit Dubon is racing around third and scoring. Basabe is around, and he crosses home as well. Wilmer Flores with two outs drives a triple into the gap in right center field, and he has put the Giants in front with two outs in the seventh inning. It's 5-4 to four San Francisco.
1: Well, the Mariners bullpen fell again and uh, after having a 4 to 1 lead, Giants scored 5 runs in the 6th and 7th innings combined. Bullpen uh, just a collapse. Kendall Graveman gave up 3 runs in the 7th inning and they even could not make it out of the inning. And so now they lose two games which were supposed to be here in Seattle, lose them in San Francisco. And so they're pretty well close to getting out of things right now. Uh, Mariners now 3 games behind the playoff spot. There's 10 games to play and you know, I guess the fact that they do Get to play Houston gives them a chance to at least do some things, but now the, the schedule gets so much tougher just from the standpoint that uh, you know they don't play a losing team the rest of the way. You know, they're pretty much down to Oakland, and of course that's a makeup of the home game that was supposed to be here because of the virus uh, down in Oakland. And so uh, with the Astros winning three games behind, and they have San Diego this weekend in San Diego, they're going to travel today, and so you'll be able to get that three-game series, and game one is going to start at 6.40. The pregame begins at 5.30, and you can hear it here on 710 ESPN Seattle.
0: Number three. Uh, the big story was the Big Ten. I mean, they do matter in the playoff. But, uh, I mean, everyone would love to see the Pac-12. I don't think they're going to make it in time for the playoff. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's their own fault. Uh, they've been sitting around moving forward to, toward a spring ball while the Big Ten realized their mistake and, and got right to it.
1: Yes, Paul Feinbaum talking about... the. Uh... <laughs> Great Pac-12 leadership as the Big Ten's now coming back. And what they're talking about for the Pac-12 is that uh, they're going to maybe go back around Thanksgiving or I'm sorry, Halloween. Uh, which, you know, that may put it too late to get into the, uh, the playoff series. Uh, but they're meeting today to discuss the return of football. And again, they're still trying to get word out of, you know, some cities, particularly Los Angeles, and that whether they can let them play. According to John Wilner of the Mercury News in California, is that USC and, USC and UCLA have joined forces to try to get L.A. County to approve practices. That's still to be there. Uh, also, uh, the governor... Gavin Newsom from California and also Kate Brow are giving their colleges the exemptions so they can resume practice and games. So there's some hope that that could happen there. And now if the approval comes today or sometime soon, each of the conference schools can be cleared to resume practice. That puts October 24th and maybe uh, thank uh, Halloween as the uh, chance to get things going. But again, still not done and the Pac-12 just lagging behind.
0: Number four. Allowed 155 to the Chargers.
2: This one downfield. Beckham got him. Touchdown Browns. Here's one for the end zone and a touchdown by Uzama. And a quick strike answer by Burrow and the Cincinnati offense. Second and goal. Here's Chubb. And he's finally in for the touchdown.
1: Well the Cleveland Browns beat the uh, Cincinnati Bengals and I tell you it was a much more interesting game than I thought it would be and I'll tell you I am so impressed with Joe Burrow 37 of 61 for 316 yards and three touchdowns he was sacked 3 times he was hit 10 times but he survived all that. Now it's funny cuz I saw some people giving some criticism that you know here he was giving less than 6 yards per attempt but he had no time to throw that offensive line is terrible. Miles G- uh, Garrett was able to get good pressure and they were able to get good pressure overall. But but Baker Mayfield was able to bounce back. Didn't have to do too much because of the running game. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt combined for 210 yards and three touchdowns. As, and that's another problem for the Bengals. They can't stop the run. Uh, the Baker threw for 219 yards and two touchdowns. And as you heard, Joe Buck, who now goes into the Pro Football Hall of Fame with the Pete Roselle Award, with a 43-yard touchdown pass. So at least getting a little bit more rhythm, I guess you can say, with Odell Beckham Jr. So now the Browns are 1-1. One and one, The Bengals 0-2. Oh but I tell you what. But they got a great young quarterback in uh, Joe Burrow he looked fantastic number five
0: pass
2: deflected by Butler tries to save it and it finds its way to Robinson down to Butler and Butler throws it down it's back to a one-point game great defensive play and hustle from Jimmy Butler Butler to the rim banks at home we're tied again Dragic now five to shoot lost it momentarily pulls back Dragic a three-pointer bang Goran Dragic from downtown And the Heat lead by five. Smart to inbound. They lob it up to Brown. Ball broken up. Picked up by Crowder. Crowder throws it at Adebayo. Adebayo dribbling. Suffolk will not foul in time. And that'll do it.
1: Well, the upsets continue in the NBA playoffs Eastern Conference Final Boston 106 and uh, losing to Miami 106 to 101. Jimmy Butler had three steals in the last four minutes to help the Heat as they get that five-point victory and so now they're ten and one. The Heat are in the NBA playoffs. They have a two-nothing lead in this series and so there's problems going. And you got Celtic guard Marcus Smart reportedly yelling obscenities at his teammates in the locker room after the game. We've watched the Milwaukee. Bucks fall apart. We watched the L.A. Clippers fall apart. And now we see a Boston Celtic team that's falling apart. Game three in this series is going to take place on Saturday. That's going to be at 5.30. So, looks to me like... Uh, The Lakers just have such a great chance to win the NBA title. But again, we've seen teams fall apart. And, of course, now we're watching Boston falling apart. Milwaukee, of course, uh, did fall apart, and that's not necessarily good. Hey, you can listen to the show in a 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review and talk about the best and the worst about the Seahawks coming up for this Sunday. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. (laughs) Under further review with John
0: Clayton. We'll review the play. Well,
1: Well, looking ahead to Sunday's Sunday night's game with the Patriots and the Seahawks, uh, there's a lot of things that, uh, particularly after the opening victory, that you have to feel good about for the Seahawks. There still are some concerns. But, of course, one thing we don't know How good is this Patriot team? We know they were good enough to beat a Miami team, you know, twenty-one to eleven, but in a game that uh, Miami had no offense, and you know that's one of the things that's still kind of a mystery for even the Patriots of last year. I mean, the Patriots got off to that great what seven and one start, but they took on so many bad teams, particularly the teams in their division that couldn't score points, and they go through and you know and they played uh, better offenses. Uh, They did struggle a little bit, but they only gave up fourteen point one points a game. So uh, just a question. Is what are the things that you feel best about for the Seahawks and the worst as they go into this game that was the topic of conversation with Danny and Gallant?
2: From a strategic standpoint, what do you feel best about in this game for Seattle? Like what, what you definitively have the best quarterback in the game. It's not close. And I like Cam Newton, but Russell Wilson is at the peak of his powers. You have an offense with a high degree of familiarity and rapport, and you have superior weapons across the board. At running back. With Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde, you are better than New England's four-horse combination of Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead, James White, and um, the kid out of Arizona that they just brought in whose name I forgot, but I liked watching him play last uh, week. Um, on, at receiver, you got the good receiver from last year's draft class, DK Metcalf. They're stuck with Nikhil Harry. They have Julian Edelman, but Julian Edelman isn't the same guy I feel like he was a couple of years ago. You have Tyler Lockett. At tight end, I can't name either of their tight ends off the top of my head. You have two good ones. You have more weapons than them. And because you have more weapons, if this game turns into a shootout, you have more bullets. You have more guys that are reliable. Where if it does turn into a shootout for New England, they're going to need guys that have not stepped up in big games before to really play well. I think I feel best about Seattle's secondary matching up against their receivers especially after last week and seeing three different guys get loose for more than 100 yards. And yards are yards. I'm not going to get twisted up into knots over 450 passing yards in a game that you won by double digits. But the ability for Seattle's DBs, are those going to be a strength or an ass? They need to be a strength this this season. I think I think Seattle needs to have one of the league's best secondaries for this team to reach where it needs to go. And I don't have concerns about that secondary mm. this week. I don't have concerns about them getting challenged or exposed.
1: Andy, I think that the the best thing right now, you look at the secondary because you have the equivalent of four possible Pro Bowl players that are out there and have played at a very. Well, and, and Quentin Dunbar still trying to you know get his feet on board here and you know do what he can do. But I think what you're looking at is that this is a uh, a secondary that's so talented, you know, because you know Shaquille Griffin went to the Pro Bowl last year. Quandre Diggs has been twice uh, pro bowl alternate the last two years and you can see he kind of reminds you of what uh, had been missing with earl thomas at free safety because he's smart he has great range he's a good hitter he's also and when necessary he can cover but also he can help make plays and get turnovers and then of course uh you know dunbar uh considered the second best coverage cornerback in football last year by pro football focus right behind Richard Sherman and then of course the big addition was Jamal Adams who was just absolutely phenomenal last week you know and again it's the same as we've watched in practice all summer and how he was able to do things at training camp I mean he just can make big plays so I think that's the thing you felt best about the second best thing certainly is going to be the offense uh, with Russell Wilson and maybe you can make the argument that that should be number one because anytime you have a quarterback that has a historic type of game you know 88.3 percent he was the offensive player of the week in the nfc he completed 31 of 35 and was able to get 322 yards and four touchdowns and then you look and you see that you know, they have so much speed uh, at the wide receiver position. What's going to be interesting to see is how the Patriot cornerbacks are going to match up. I mean, are they going to put uh, Stephon Gilmore on Tyler Lockett? Are they going to put him on uh, DK Medcalf? I do anticipate you're going to see more two tight end offense and that's because, again, they have such good coverage guys on that, particularly in man coverage. But also in man coverage, you know, you can see that, uh, you know, that could be the opportunity for Russell to kind of break out and maybe run the ball, have some RPOs and do things like that. That's going to be interesting. You know, also, you feel uh, really good about the linebacking core. The fact that uh, you know they've got such great versatility there, because you've got KJ Wright, you've got Bobby Wagner, and you know I think it was funny because there was some criticism of Bobby Wagner, and Pete Carroll kind of put that aside and said that was probably his best game ever in pass coverage, and you can know that uh, you know they'll be trying to stop the run and uh, trying to do that with Cam Newton and what the Patriots are able to do. So all those things, what you still wonder about? Okay, is the run stopping unit going to be good enough? It didn't at the beginning of the game although after a while when the uh, team was trailing they're going to go ahead and uh, do what's on that so now we've got that going and then of course you've got the uh, situation that you kind of wonder about as far as Are they good enough on the offensive line? Now, again, you know, both teams have the same philosophy. The philosophy uh, has been there and out there to take that and uh, go and do some things. But overall, I think that this is going to be an interesting matchup because you really, DJ Wilder, don't know what the uh, Patriots have and how good they are. But I think you feel good about a lot of things, particularly after the first win.
3: And I think that's the thing I look at the most. It's like you just don't know what you're going to get from this Patriots team. Even when they had Tom Brady, you didn't know what they were going to do with the different types of receivers that they had because it always seemed like Brady had a different cast of receivers besides Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski every single season. So you didn't know what they were going to do. on the def- Seahawks' def- run defense worries me a little bit. Not Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright in particular. But what they have up front. The run defense that's gonna include the likes of Jaron Reed, Puna Ford, Brian Monet, Bruce Irvin. Are they gonna be able to step up to the task of helping out the linebackers like Wagner, KJ? We might see some Jordan Brooks as well. Maybe we'll even see some Cody Barton just because they're gonna be running kind of like this maybe this like this power run formation, these power option plays. Like I just I, that's the question that I'm most concerned with. Can his defensive line hold Cam Newton, Sony Michelle, James White, Rex Burkhead in check in the running game? And I, I really don't know. When the Falcons were able to run, uh, were able to run in the beginning of the game before they had to start airing it out because they're down by double digits. Todd Gurley was able to get some chunks of 6, 8 to 10 yards. Now the Falcons' O-line is a pretty good O-line, so maybe it might be better than the Patriots. I don't know, but that's the thing I'm most concerned about is if this D-line can help out those linebackers in the run game.
1: Yeah, and then I think that uh, they will be able to, and what's going to be interesting, if you're Cam Newton, you don't want to run too much. He ran 15 times for 75 yards last week, but if you do that, I mean, you can be hit and hit hard by Jamal Adams or maybe even Quandre Diggs or Bobby Wagner, and if that's going to be the case, that's the one thing that this team accomplished so far. They wanted more speed on defense, and they wanted more violence on the field, and you saw that last week, you know, particularly with what Adams can do, and certainly what uh, the rest of the defense can do, and, you know, they this is that's why it's such a dangerous unit, so I'm going to be curious to see And even Josh uh, McDaniel talked about it this week uh, that, you know, you can go ahead and do the uh, different type of things. But if you run too much, you you could pay a price. And uh, Josh was even saying it's like, yeah things go different each week just because we ran 15 that many times in the first game like for example he brought up the RPOs and he says the way the RPOs went you know the way that went you know his read Cam was to take the quarterback run as opposed to just the handoff and he says it could have been as few as six carries as far as what could have been for Cam Newton so overall I think that uh, you know the run defense is going to be challenged certainly uh, you know I agree that the pass defense isn't going to be challenged too much because you You look at the Patriots, and they're actually a little bit worse in the receiving group than they are last year. Mohamed Sanu got cut. Uh, They really hardly added anything. They got two young tight ends and uh, Ryan Izzo, so uh, there's actually less weapons for Cam Newton than even Tom Brady had last year, so we'll have to watch how that goes. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Mike Reese of ESPN.com he covers the Patriots. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon.
0: Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app.
1: I'm amazed that Bill Belichick can even be competitive enough with all the losses that he's had. You know, five key guys on defense, the 8 opt-outs, they're maybe even a little bit weaker at wide receiver and tight end. How good is this Patriot team?
4: Well, I would say, John, that they played very well in the opener but they got a long way to go to be in the conversation with, I think, teams that, you know, the two of us would probably say are the best of the best in the AFC like the Kansas City Chiefs like the Baltimore Ravens. I I don't see them right now in that class, but one of the best things they have going for them after one week is Cam Newton. And that's been the big story.
1: Yeah. Talk about Cam, because what I worry about, because, you know, he's still one to lower his shoulder and try to plow through somebody. He showed that last week with with the 15 runs. Uh, Can he hold up running 15 times a game?
4: Well, Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, said, you know, you can't do anything in this league over and over again and expect it to be sustainable. So I I think he answered the question for us because that's what a lot of people have been asking here in New England. Like, can they keep doing this? Now, the one thing that's interesting about those 15 runs that Cam had in the opener, you know, a lot of those are option plays where – there's a decision that Cam's making whether to keep the football or or hand it off a lot of times based on what the defense reacts to. And so McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, made the point, like, his total runs could have been six, you know, if things had unfolded differently. And I just think that's an interesting discussion, John, because when you run that play, you have to factor in, you know, from the play caller's standpoint, like, well, this might end up staying in the quarterback's hands right Mm -hmm. so that's just sort of a fascinating part of that conversation
1: yeah it really was but of course I think it was expected and isn't there some tracing to the fact that uh you know Josh and Bill Belichick you know wanted to get more updated with the current NFL offenses that if Tom Brady would leave and he left that they would go to more of a running type of style with a mobile quarterback
4: that definitely intrigued them you know And, and I think you know with Cam, this what's sort of also compelling, John, is like he wasn't even with them in the off season. He officially signed July eighth, even though he had agreed to terms late in June. So it's not like this was part of like some master plan that they had. Oh, Tom leaves, we'll bring in Cam. Like they were very tight to the salary cap, and like for a lot a, a large part of the off season, it looked like. This was going to be either Jarrett Stidham, their fourth-round pick from last year out of Auburn, or Brian Hoyer. And well, those guys can move a little better than Tom, like they don't move like Cam, you know, and that sort of opened up this whole new world that's been interesting to watch.
1: How how has it looks like he's adjusted pretty well to coming into New England because it looks like he's bought into Bill Belichick, who's always been one that respected him,
4: John. That to me has been unbelievable like I call it living the Cam Newton experience and with that comes you know the outfits and some uh, interesting sort of um, turns of phrase if you will with his with his uh, you know comments to reporters Um, but when when you boil it down like put that all to the side and whatever like perception you might have had of Cam Newton and I include myself Because being up here in New England, you know, I didn't know him that well in Carolina other than sort of what I would see briefly on TV, um, you know, what he was wearing, what he might have said. What I've learned is, like, he gets in the building at, like, 5 in the morning. He doesn't leave till late at night. And he's the type of player that other guys are, are sort of galvanized by. They gravitate towards him. And he showed this one bit of leadership this week that I think reflects that is they had Nikhil Harry, their first round pick, a wide receiver from last year out of Arizona State, and you know, they really need him to develop and he had a, a disappointing play in the opener where he fumbled the ball, John, through the the end zone. So they lost the ball and Cam was asked about it and he sort of talked about How, you know, Nikhil is is sort of like his little brother and he made a mistake, but, you know, everyone makes mistakes and don't overlook all the other good things that Nikhil did in the game. And I just, I look at that and I say, man, Cam Newton has really settled in here in New England, not just as their quarterback, but as a, a definitive leader that other players are looking towards.
1: Interesting. So now, are they weaker or about the same at the receiving position? Because that obviously was a big issue. And I also bring in tight end, too. But uh, where do you put them as far as their talent at uh, the, the, those two skilled positions?
4: So I would say at, let's start at receiver. And right now, I would say it's either the same or a little weaker. But you got to factor in the potential upside. You know, like, they've got to get more out of Nikhil Harry, their first-round pick last year. And and if they do, it has a chance to be better. But right now, the way we look at it, it doesn't look better just yet. You know, they have Julian Edelman, who is another year older, you know, and he was actually playing the number three receiver role in the last game. Uh, He only played 37 snaps, which is unusual for a guy who played 87 of the snaps all last year but they got to preserve them, John because around Julian Edelman you know you got Nikhil Harry then they have Demir Bird who was like the Cardinals number four sometimes five receiver last year who was running as their number two in last week's game so and then they have undrafted free agent Jacoby Myers filling out the depth chart at receivers so well there's youth and upside there's not a lot of proven production there. So how could I say it's better until we see more? So that's at receiver. And at tight end, I will tell you, it's better only because last year it was almost like a barren position for them. And, and they have a, a third-year player in Ryan Izzo who made a very nice play last week on a 25-yard catch and run who's, you know, I would say a, a, a number two solid tight end who right now is elevated up to the number one role because – they have two rookies who right now are just sort of trying to get up to speed in third-round picks, Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene.
1: Yeah, very unusual. But, again, it's the interesting transition with this team. On defense, much like Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick likes to build from the back to the front, build a secondary, and then uh, you know not put as much money into the defensive line. How's that transition been so far? Well,
4: I will say, John, the, the, the secondary, very impressive last week, albeit against the Dolphins and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I say that, you know, we know they're not the strongest team in the league at the same time. It is the same team that came into New England in the 2019 season finale and, you know, really cost the Patriots a, a first-round buy, you know, in the passing game. So they dressed 11 defensive backs in the opener against the Dolphins. And what stands out to me, John, is they got a lot of different guys back there, talented guys, that help them match up differently against different types of pass catchers. Like, they're using their second-round pick last year, Jawan Williams of Vanderbilt, against tight ends that they view as sort of bigger receivers than traditional tight ends. So, like, they have these niche roles for certain players in the secondary because they have so many of them. What I'm intrigued to see Sunday night against the Seahawks is how's that front seven hold up? Because that's really where the questions are after a lot of free agent departures and the opt out of Dante Hightower, their Mr. Do Everything
1: linebacker. Yeah, but it does look like Bentley does have a chance to uh, you know fill the void, although you know not as good as Hightower. But it looks like you know he's maybe the main linebacker for them.
4: He is, Jawan Bentley, um, a third-year player out of Purdue, who was actually voted uh, as a captain this year for the first time. He had a very solid season opener, and they've asked him to step up and fill that void. Um, they drafted him in the fifth round in 2018, and he was a, a, the, the only player in Purdue history who was a three-year captain, which sort of tells you about his leadership skills. And they really like him. But after him, they have a lot of youth there, and so that's an area to definitely look towards on Sunday night.
1: It's Mike Reese from ESPN.com. Thank you, Mike, and of course, uh, good observations as far as the Patriots, and i tell you what, it's like, I just don't know what Patriot team is going to show up, because Okay, you know, that, I mean, I know that they've had problems in the last couple of years of winning against the Dolphins in Miami, but they were easily able to handle them in the first game, 21-11, to 11. and well, that's one of the reasons they give up so few points, because they take on either older quarterbacks like Ryan Fitzpatrick, or they take on young quarterbacks like Sam Darnold, and taking on that, and of course, uh, you know, now we've got Russell Wilson, and so I th- I'm just going to be curious to see what game plan on defense is going to be there. I think that's going to be one of the critical things, and also what kind of offensive game plan that Brian Schottenheimer is going to call when you start to look and see uh, what is going to be going on, you know, because are they, are they going to let Russ cook? And uh, the way I read this is that uh, the Russ cook thing is going to be a week by week project in the sense that they're going to give him more ability to take control early on the early downs. And in the early quarters, you know, more, a few more passes on first, but not like it was last week. If you're going to go and throw, drop back 38 times against the Patriots with their coverage units and only run it 20 times, you're in trouble. Because you know they won't be able to do it, so I think you'll see probably a 50-50 balance. I think you're going to see more two tight end sets. I think that uh, you know, and again, the key for Seattle is to try to get as big of a lead as possible. Because one difference now, and I think you see this, and you saw it in Baltimore last year, if they drop behind, uh, and the Patriots drop behind too far, you know, with the limitations that they have in the passing game, that you want to try to, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have a hard time making a comeback. So you want to try to get a 10. 14-point lead as early as you can, and that won't be easy. I mean, so uh, they need to get points and get points early and try to have that halftime lead, which they usually do well. Hey, reminder that the Seahawks will take on the Patriots this Sunday night on 710 ESPN Seattle. That means you can hear the Mariners game in its entirety on 770 KTTH. Coming up next, we'll catch you up on the National Football League. Going behind the lines, it's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with a 710 Seattle
0: Sports app.
1: You know, I I probably wouldn't have much interest in the uh, 49er game against the New York Jets, but I'm fascinated by that game right now just because there's so many crazy things going on with San Francisco as far as injuries. You know, it looks like Akello uh, Witherspoon isn't probably gonna be able to play because he's out of concussion protocol, but they not they probably won't have Jason Verrett, you know that Richard Sherman's on the injured reserve list for at least three weeks with a calf injury. Then the wide receiving group is just in obliteration. I guess Brandon Auk uh, AU is going to be able to probably play he missed the first game with a hamstring injury. Then Richie James, he got a hamstring injury yesterday and you know, they haven't got anything out of Dante Pettis, uh, you know, Kendrick Bourne only had two catches last week. And so they're gonna be very limited, but then you look over at the Jets and they may be in worse shape because you know most of their receivers are hurt. They find out that Jamison Crowder you know, is going to miss the game, and you know that Mims, their draft choice, is going to be out, and then you know Le'Veon Bell because Adam Gaze kept him in for five plays with a tweaked hamstring, and now he's on injured reserve. So DJ Wilder, it's like these two teams. There's little left on offense. I mean, this game could be a three nothing, a five two game.
3: Here, according to Field Yates, here. Um, he tweeted this out. Sam Darnold supporting cast for Sunday. At running back, you got Frank Gore and Kalen Bailish. Wide receiver, Brashad Perriman, Chris Hogan, Braxton Ambarrios. Um, and then tight end, Chris Herndon. Uh, it's not good for the Jets, but they might be catching the 49ers at a perfect time. And yeah. it's not out of the question, John, that the 49ers can go 0-2. They're so banged up. I mean, George Kill hasn't practiced yet. They think he can still play Sunday. It's not looking like he's going to play Sunday. And that's just another weapon that's lost with Jimmy Garoppolo. Nothing against Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he's a fine quarterback, but he needs a, a number of weapons. Like, yeah. not high number, but he needs at least George Kittle. And if he doesn't have George Kittle, he already doesn't have Debo Samuel. I, I that And, I and, they, know and you know, know that Greg Williams out. is
1: going to go crazy with all his blitzes and that trying to get to uh, knock uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and get him some turnovers. I mean, what you wonder about, particularly as bad as it is, because, uh, you know, this was supposed to be a nice, easy stretch uh, for the 49ers. I mean, they had a home game against Arizona. They lost that. Then you go on the road for two weeks or at least for one week. And, you know, one, first you play the jets who right now arguably is the worst team in football and, uh, or one of the worst. And then the next week you play the New York giants, a team that's not very good. And you figure, okay, two and one, but don't you get the feeling they could come out of this <clears throat> with maybe a one and two record and then have to play Minnesota.
3: Yes, I re- I really do. And it's only because of injuries. It's not going to be because of coaching. It's not going to no. be because of like a lack of talent or anything. It's going to be because of injuries and the, and especially if the Seahawks end up going two and zero, you know they start out two and zero against the Patriots, and then they go next week and they can somehow beat the Cowboys, or even if they lose, they're two and one. And if the 49ers are one and two, I mean, this division even a one game hole is really uh, equal to four games. Honestly, mm-hmm. this division mm-hmm. is so tough. I know like people might been, might not have been impressed with the Rams' offense, but their defense against the Cowboys, who on paper have a great defense, they're going to be formidable. The Cardinals, especially if they can go go um go home and play washington with that defensive front and if kyler murray can still beat out that defensive front and they can they can make sure he doesn't even touch the ground they they could that's a huge test for them as well. This division's so tough, the 49ers can very quickly find themselves in a huge hole. Bigger one than they already are at 0-1 with three other teams being 1-0. and 0.
1: Yeah, like the line I keep on using is that this Super Bowl hangover has turned into a migraine <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, you, you don't know when it's going to go away and I know that, uh, you know, in the last couple years, every time I've watched the 49ers, my big fear for them is injuries and I don't know why certain franchises tend to have a bunch of injuries, but that they haven't been able to shake that and again they're all leg injuries for the most part uh i know that richie james you know got his wrist but i mean how about the fact i mean they had they they went to nashville you know the offensive skilled players and jimmy garoppolo and all that so they go there in the summer to try to at least get a little bit of work in and you know richie james breaks his wrist debo samuel gets a jones fracture it's like what is going on with this team
3: it's just one of those seasons. It's unfortunate. I feel like there's always that team. And it's usually been the Broncos the last couple of yeah. seasons that I've had Chargers. injuries like this Chargers. and the Chargers too. Definitely the Chargers, especially with someone like Derwin James going down two seasons in a row, really. And I I guess the Broncos haven't really avoided that either. They lose Von Miller what 5 days before mm-hmm. Monday Night Football, so that they haven't really they're not, their luck hasn't really improved either, but I just I'm even looking at the Giants depth chart right now. John and with Richard Sherman out, if Daniel Jones could get any time to throw to guys like Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard, if, I know Golden Tate's questionable this week, but if he plays next week, I mean, the Giants, <laughs> believe it or not, they almost beat the Steelers. I think the Steelers can be a really good team. I don't know if they'll win the division, but I think they're a playoff team. Yeah, And, and the Giants held it close for the most part there um, on Monday night last week. i uh, It's not out of the question that even if they do beat the Jets, they could still be 1-2, or dare, dare we say, could they be 0-3?
1: And what I'm wondering, too, is that, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough game against Dallas uh, coming up next week. But what you're wondering about, the injuries are really going against them, too. <clears throat> you know, the right tackle, although Collins is out, you know, now Tyron Smith is banged up. They're not sure if he's going to be able to play. Amari Cooper's playing hurt. You know, they lose two starters at linebacker, Sean Lee and uh, Van You know, so the, that uh, and we don't know what injuries they are going to suffer this week, if any. Injuries play a big role. There's no yeah. doubt. I mean, my, I mean, the two things I follow other than the salary cap as closely as I hope anybody else does is injuries and also uh, strength of schedule because the strength of schedule. And you know, if the Seahawks can win this game against the Patriots and the Cowboys coming up, they could be 5-0 and before the bye week.
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And the Seahawks so far, I know it's only week two, they've been... They're, they've been pretty lucky outside of Cedric Oboihe and uh, Daryl Taylor. Yeah. They they've been able to avoid the injury bug so far. Now, it, it happens for every team to some sort of extent. So, likely it's it's not likely that they're gonna just get out of this whole season completely unscathed. Unfortunately. But I, you even look at the Bengals, and we were just talking about this off-air, John, with Joe Burrow. He looked great, but now he's starting to lose receivers, or some receivers are really at 50%, and he might even get hurt, too, because mm-hmm. uh, his O-line's just so
1: bad. Well, and that was the weird part about Week 1. I think it was the first time uh, in a long time, decades, that not one quarterback got hurt in Week 1.
3: That's that's Which, amazing, especially yeah. when you think about like the Chargers' O-line's not good, so you would think like Tyrod Taylor would have unfortunately have gotten her someone yeah, like they, and that.
1: They, and now they lose Mike Pouncey for the season with a hip injury. Their center.
3: Yeah, that's He's uh, done. Yeah, that's
1: uh <laughs> Again, on, again, on a, again, the Charger team that always seems to have injuries, they got more injuries.
3: Yeah, on a on a thin offensive line uh, on an offensive line that's already thin. Now Tyrod Taylor is not going to have a lot of protection already. So that's mm-hmm. that's not good especially in a division that has a lot of good pass rushers when you think about You know, on the Chiefs, they got Chris Jones and Frank Clark. The Raiders have they really like Max Crosby, who was a rookie last year. It just and then you know with the Broncos I know they don't have Von Miller but they really like Bradley Chubb especially before he went down last year you know that's it, not it's not a good omen for the Chargers to have offensive linemen keep going down with a division that's just stacked with pass rushers oh
1: yeah stacked with pass rushers and of course uh, you know they got fast receivers and all that stuff and honestly I keep on I know when I, I keep on you know circling through the AFC and I just wonder it's like are there seven playoff teams. I mean, we watched it a couple years ago when Tennessee and Buffalo made the playoffs, but they gave up more points than they scored, which is equivalent to being a seven and nine team. And you look around and it's like, OK, uh, Indy, they had laid that egg against Jacksonville. I thought they were going to win the division with 11. You know, Tennessee's solid and even better. Now they've got Jaden Clowney, so I count them in. But OK, you go Pittsburgh. Is I think, going to win 11 or 12 games. The two best teams right now, Baltimore and Kansas City. And then uh, you could put Tennessee in there. But what about the rest? I <laughs> Buffalo. So you have five teams right now, and you have two maybes.
3: The Browns' might get in there by default.
1: I, I well, honestly, when I was making my predictions, I had the Browns getting in there by default. But uh, you know, you still wonder. It's like here they are. You know, they're stacked. They got the ten Pro Bowl players, six on offense and four on defense, and yet you know. Joe Burrow throws for over three hundred yards and completes thirty seven passes. And last week they couldn't stop the pass. I right. mean, against you know, or or the run in the thirty-eight point game that they had against Baltimore. They could lose thirty-eight to six. Very, very crazy. Hey, be sure to check out the professors' notes on seven ten sports.com. The professors notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're gonna to talk to tight end Jacob Hollister from the Seahawks. Get his thoughts going back to play the team that traded him for a seventh round pick, and of course he did so well and he also did so well that he ended up getting more pass catches uh, last year at tight end than any of the three tight ends who were left on the team. Pretty interesting. Let's go to Jacob Hollister. We'll come back. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.